Well, I want to talk to you uh, some more this evening about the topic which we have been in for quite some time. And I promise you we won't forever. Uh, we'll eventually finish this topic, but not yet. We still have a, some time to go. Some more things I wanted to cover, if you don't mind. Uh, and I wanted to tell you tonight about a letter, a really interesting letter, which we have in our possession. In fact, it's found in the Bible. It was written uh, quite some time ago uh, to a group of Christians, believers, just like us. We have a great family. It spans uh, centuries. These particular believers uh, were located at a place called Ephesus, which is a marvelous place to visit if you ever get the opportunity. It's on the western uh coast of present-day Turkey. You can visit it today. It's quite marvelous. And there was quite a vibrant church, a gathering of believers there. They received a letter that was written to them by Paul, the apostle. And he wrote it under rather unusual circumstances. He was imprisoned at the time. He was in Rome, not vacationing. No, no, he was imprisoned in Rome for having proclaimed uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But while there, he still had on his uh, mind and on his heart, his concern uh, for other believers that they would be strengthened in Christ because he knew they were in a battle, a spiritual battle, and that the evil one, he is Satan, really, really wanted to extinguish the flame. He couldn't rob them of their salvation, but he could rob them of the fruits thereof, the joy, the peace that comes with it, and he could surely minimize their effectiveness as witnesses for Christ. So in that context, Paul wrote to them a magnificent letter. It wasn't meant just for the Ephesians. It was meant to be circulated, actually, amongst other churches in the area, and it's meant for us even today, some 2,000 years later. Now, in the context of Paul being concerned that they stand firm in the faith and resist the evil one, he wrote, amongst many other things in the letter, a particular chapter. We call it the spiritual warfare or armor chapter. It's Ephesians chapter 6. And in it, he listened, he listed metaphorically a number of pieces of armor, uh, which he exhorted us as Christians to take on, to put on, on a daily basis. And you're familiar with it, but I just want to highlight one of those pieces of armor tonight. In this one, Paul mentions in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. So we're only going to do the first part of that verse tonight. Just the first, I think it's four or five words, but they're loaded. Here's what it says. And take the helmet of salvation. Now, I love that vocabulary. God is really good to us. He gave us the scripture, uh, did he not, in words we could all relate to. He didn't speak over our head, although he surely speaks to us of lofty concepts. So he uses the vocabulary of a helmet with which we are all familiar we know that a helmet is a device, it's headgear, that you place on the head in order to provide it with protection. Why? Because encased in our skull is this magnificent organ which God has bequeathed to us and designed called the brain. And it's very, very important that it be protected by helmets, if you will, because as the brain goes, so too goes the rest of us. I mean, the body can't work if the brain is not doing too good. So you have to protect the brain. Now, we know about this, and so we wear helmets. But God knows about this as well. And you can see this, his interest in the protection of the brain, even in the way in which he has created us. See, if you go like this, that's kind of like a hard surface, is it not? 
I mean, that skull, it is made up, the cranium, it's made up of about eight different bones. And then if you add to it the bones of your face, that's another 14. So you have your brain surrounded for its protection by Almighty God with 22 different bones. It's really, 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 I mean, it hurts if you stub your toe in the dark. I understand that. But it's not nearly as vital as this thing is. And so God has surrounded it, not only with 22 separate individual bones, but did you know that your, your brain is encased in a kind of a fluid? It's called the cerebrospinal fluid. It's a liquid kind of a cushion, so that if you get jarred, there's some protection from damage, which otherwise uh, your brain might suffer. So, so, so the brain is very, very, very... I think this is fantastic. I mean, God knows that the brain is the boss of everything else. It runs the show, so it has to be protected. So all that the brain does is pretty amazing for, for something, if you've ever seen a brain, that looks like... Uh, it just looks like an old wrinkly gray sponge. I mean, did you know that your brain has the consistency of tofu? And yet, and yet this gray, wrinkly, old, not so attractive thing, if you've ever seen it, it uh, you know, removed from the skull, is magnificent. God did, the, evolution did not do this. Monkeys didn't do this. God did this. He's to be praised for it. And so the point of all this is that the, the brain has to be protected. Hence, helmets. We use helmets to protect the brain. And helmets are of particular value during times of military conflict. I mean, ever since people began to war against one another, it became pretty quickly apparent that one of the first things one must do in battle is to protect one's head. And so at the time when this was written, take up the helmet of salvation, uh, the Romans were in power. They had quite an empire that went across the then world, you know. And a Roman soldier would always wear his helmet into battle. And the thing that concerned him most was something called a broad sword used by his adversary. A broad sword was a, a sword that was, uh, oh, about three to four feet long. And it had a big handle, large enough so that a soldier could wrap both hands around it and yield it like you would a baseball bat. He would swing the broad sword just like you would a baseball bat. Now, the idea was to raise it above your head so that at the right moment, the opportune time, you could bring it down upon the skull of another. And so the Roman soldier knew that his best, perhaps his only protection against the broadsword uh, was his helmet, which would deflect the attack, which would otherwise uh, maybe crush his skull. And so in this whole context, Paul is exhorting Christians uh, because they're in battle, to make sure they take up their helmet. Well, who are they battling against? And folks, we are constantly under attack by the adversary, uh, by the evil one. He's relentless, I tell you. And so therefore, it's very necessary for us to put on the helmet of salvation. You see, when Satan launches his attacks against us, don't you agree with this? He aims for the head. 
That's what he does. He doesn't go for our kneecap or ankle. He aims for our head. He strikes at our minds. He's all about what we're thinking. It's really a battle for the mind, you see. And so that's why Paul says, take up the helmet of salvation. Again, it's a metaphor. He's saying, protect your thought life with a very accurate and constant awareness of the nature of your salvation. So he's not speaking of being saved. He's speaking to those already saved. But can I tell you something? It's kind of sad. Though every Christian already is saved, not every Christian experiences the joy of being saved. That's what he's getting at right here. You see, the evil one sends upon us doubt and discouragement. The remedy for it, says Paul, is to take up and put on this piece of defensive armor, guard your thought life with the helmet of your salvation. So he's, he's saying, take the helmet. Now, in order to take it, it has to be provided. Don't you see? The Savior has already freely provided it simply for us to take it up. The helmet of salvation. Salvation is not ours by merit. It is ours by God's mercy. Paul is simply saying, take it, fill your thoughts with thoughts, accurate thoughts of the nature of your salvation. So resist, says Paul, in essence, Satan's lies. That's what he is, you know. He's the father of lies. Resist his lies, the ones which lead to doubts about God's disposition to you. There's no Body more disabled in the battle than the Christian still uncertain of his or her standing with the Savior. So the doubts and the discouragements come from the evil one. So here Paul is saying, no, don't do that. Focus on, dwell on, meditate on, reflect on, think on your salvation. Think rightly about your salvation. For instance, you cannot forfeit it. You cannot lose your salvation. You did not earn it. You did not merit it to begin with. Therefore, it is not kept by your merits. Therefore, it cannot be forfeited by your demerits. Salvation from beginning to end is all the doing of the Savior. He's the author and the perfecter of salvation. You and I are the recipients of it, it cannot be lost. I love what Charles Spurgeon had to say about this particular topic, assurance. Listen, he said, if my good works had put me into Christ, then my bad works might turn me out of him. But since he put me in when I was a sinner, vile and worthless, he will never take me out, though I am a sinner, vile and worthless still. I memorized the other day, Titus 3, 5. It's really good. He saved us. Oh, I love that. He saved us, not by deeds which we have done, even in righteousness. Not by deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. When he stops being merciful, you and I are in trouble. But he is the same yesterday, today, forever and forevermore. He does not change. Thank God. He's constant. He's the rock. He is our redeemer, you see. I was in an airport recently. Terrible places to be. 
And uh, I was waiting to get on a flight, which would take me to another place. And then you get on a connecting flight to reach your final destination. And uh, over the uh, loudspeaker over there in the airport, if you can hear the, you had this all going on at once, uh, they made mention of the fact that this a flight, that the first flight uh, was delayed for an unknown period of time. And uh, I was not too terribly concerned about it because I knew the connecting flight I had to catch was several hours away uh, from the time when I would land. But others were um, not quite so confident they would reach their destination because they had a much shorter time frame in which to make their connecting flight. And you could tell the difference between us. I'm not more virtuous than anybody there, but I was quite relaxed. I was reading. I was walking around. I got some pizza. I was just kind of enjoying myself. I had plenty of time. I had assurance I would reach my destination. But those who were uncertain about it, you could just tell they were pacing nervously. They were uncomfortable with life in general. They were bickering. They were going up to the airport personnel, and they were ornery as could be. See, there's a difference in the behavior of those who have assurance that they will reach their destination and those who do not. The helmet of salvation is the helmet of the hope of the assurance of your salvation. Don't leave home without it. You need to have it, you see. Otherwise, you'll be rendered ineffective. You may be saved, but question it. Be uncertain about it. Will I make it? Will I make it in the end? Will you... If God saved you, you will make it in the end because he is the Savior and he does not fail, though we do all the time. So part of the helmet of salvation is the helmet of the hope of your salvation. Put it on. Know that it's yours forevermore. You cannot lose it. You will not lose it. You should also know this about salvation. It has different phases. I find this to be a very helpful thing to know. I'll tell you why. Sometimes we wonder, oh, God, why am I not further along the journey of spiritual maturity than I find myself to be? Sometimes we can get quite distressed at the slowness of our growth. We see ourselves sometimes falling into the same patterns of misbehavior. We make an effort to turn from it. Sometimes we feel like it's one step forward and two steps back. That's not actually true, however. And so sometimes at those times of discouragement, the enemy really moves in and plants these questions in our mind. Where is the benefit of the Savior for you? You don't see much different. You're still a struggler. You're still a pilgrim. Where is the benefit? Maybe you're not even saved. You know, sometimes these things happen. So it might be helpful for us to review the fact that there are three, actually three aspects of salvation. One took place in the past. Let's use some words. It's called justification. I love it. It's a legal term. It's like the judge putting down his gavel and saying to you, the accused, case dismissed. That's not a process. You don't grow into it. It's an event. It doesn't have to repeat it. There's no case against you by the judge. When you were justified, it was when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ. You took on his merits. His blood cleansed you and I uh, from sin. And so the father, who otherwise would have a, a case against us, says case dismissed. It's canceled out. It's paid in full. So there's a past aspect of your salvation. It's a done deal. But then there's a present aspect of it. 
It's called sanctification. That's not an event. It's a process. And that's the process whereby every single day we make some choices to tie into the spirit who is in us, to disengage from the flesh, which is still very much a part of our reality. It's a process of daily being set apart. That's what it means to be sanctified. Set apart more and more unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there's a third aspect of salvation. It's a future aspect. didn't come yet, but be hopeful. It's called glorification. And that's when we get new bodies which are sin-free. Sin is entirely eradicated. So the first aspect of salvation, justification, one-time event. It happened. Great. It's over and done with. The second aspect is a process, and the third aspect is also an event, glorification. So I think I could say this. In the past, I have been saved. Uh, In the present... I am being saved, and in the future, I shall be saved. Now, I think, that, I think that's theologically, biblically correct. In the past, I have been saved, justification. In the present, I am being saved, a sanctification. And in the future, I shall for sure be saved. That is glorification, you see? Three aspects. Let me put it this way. In the past, I have been saved from the penalty of my sin. In the present, I am being saved from the power of my sin. And in the future, I can't wait, I shall be saved from the very presence of my sin. Do you believe that? That's the helmet of salvation. Oh, there's a lot to feast on, don't you see? You put it on, you fill your mind with thoughts of all the ramifications of salvation. You know what Paul is saying? He is saying, think about life from the perspective of God's salvation of you. That's what he's saying. He's saying, look through all of life through the lens of your salvation. Consider everything that happens to you in light of your salvation, the sureness of it. Folks, I must tell you this. Jesus Christ has, by a single act, forever changed your status and mine before God. By his death and resurrection, he has transformed you and I from enemies of God, think of it, to children, beloved children of God. And now your responsibility and mine is to think in a way that is consistent with our new status. It's a battle for the mind. Don't let the evil one drag you back to old ways of thinking. I'm in process now. And he who began this good work in us will complete it until the day of its perfection in Christ Jesus. That's his word. That's his promise. Don't you see? Don't go back on it. The enemy discourages you. Don't don't buy that. So having been saved, you are being saved and you will be saved forevermore. You'll be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a risen savior, you know. Uh, The resurrection vindicated him. He became enfleshed, looked like just a man. Some people thought he was. But the resurrection, which is the power of God, vindicated the son. That's the father saying, oh, yeah, yeah, he's fully man, but no ordinary man. He's also fully God. He rose up from death. So he he is our assurance that we will join with him. You know, I have to tell you something. Uh, 
Roman helmets, any kind of helmets, but I'm thinking of Roman helmets were heavy and uh, cumbersome and hot. They were flat out uncomfortable. Therefore, the Roman soldier would only put it on when he was faced with uh, danger in battle. So I ask you a question. Please tell me when you and I as Christians are not in the battle. Please tell me a time when we're not faced with danger. You think the evil one takes a day off? Therefore, we've got to make the effort. It's a discipline. It's an act of the will. Every day to suit up with the helmet of salvation. We have to put it up. We have to say, oh, God, my health is not, not so good. And my family situation is a little challenging. And perhaps my finances are not what I would like them to be. And vocationally, I'm not doing so well. And I'm surely a little distressed by the circumstances surrounding me. I definitely can't uh, see the future. I don't know how a lot of things will work out. But... Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. I know who holds the future. Life is worth the living. Just because a living Savior has saved me. Then, now, and forevermore. You see it? I'm going to reach the destination. There's a whole lot of bumps in the road till we get there. I understand that. They hurt us. We don't like it. Nobody wants trouble. It's the way it is. <laughs> but there's victory in Jesus in the end. And it helps us to live today. That's the helmet of salvation. It's to protect our mind. It's to protect our thought. There are losses here, even for Christians. But what cannot be lost <laughs> is the assurance of our salvation. And I have to tell you this. It requires a lot of effort to think this way. I must tell you, it doesn't come naturally, does it? It's a supernatural kind of a thing doesn't come naturally. Just like those heavy helmets which the Romans had to don at time of danger, so too do we. Every single day, think salvation. Think like a saved person. Think of the Savior. Think about your status. Think about your disposition in his eyes. Think about victory in Jesus no matter what. Think about sins forgiven. Think about being cleansed. Think about being adopted into his family. Think about the penalty of sin being removed. Think about the power of sin dissipating all the time. Think about one day the culmination being the total eradication of the very presence of sin even in your members. Think about all these things. It takes work, you see. It's like a cumbersome, heavy helmet. But would you dare go into battle without it? Do you know what risk you would be at? And folks, I find, perhaps you do too, the more we do this exercise in godly thinking, the less weighty the helmet becomes. Our puny little necks are better. They're strengthened so that we can support the weight of the cumbersome helmet. We've got to get used to it, you see. The brain changes. Our minds are being changed because we have the mind of Christ. Yeah, I understand it takes some work. It takes some effort. What's the option? Lay down and die before the evil one? Raise the white flag? Surrender to the one who's the destroyer? Are you kidding me? No, 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 no. Better to feast on the salvation which is offered by the 
by the deliverer. And then I just want to offer this as we close. Here's another thought to think of. Do you know that your salvation, mine, is nearer than when we first believed? We're not going backwards. That is a lie of Satan. It is not one step forward, two steps backward. He is a liar. We're going up and on. We shall overcome because the Lord Jesus will enable us to overcome. (laughs) It's not because of our strong grip on him. It is because of his irreversibly strong grip on us. He doesn't lose those for whom he offered the ransom price, the blood of his own son. Nobody gets lost who belongs to the Lord Jesus. Do you realize that salvation is nearer to you and I than when we first believed? And do you realize that the crowning moment of our salvation is going to be when the Lord Jesus, the crucified, resurrected, ascended Savior, comes back for you and for I? That will be the crowning moment of our salvation. And thus we shall be with him forever. What if you're down in the dumps? What if you moved and didn't leave a change of address? Oh, no, 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 no. He's going to come and at the rapture catch you up. He can find you. He doesn't lose those who are his. You are safe and you are secure. He will never leave you nor forsake you. It's all about him. When you're at your worst, he's at his best. And I think that's really, really good because then he gets all of the praise and all of the glory. The world is unsettled. It's being shaken to its foundations. And either just the birth pangs, it seems to me. What a witness for us to say. But because he lives, I can face tomorrow. I'm not taking my marching orders from the economic prognosticators, from who's in the Oval Office, from what the polls and surveys Show, I read the Bible. It talks to me about a helmet, which is the hope of my own salvation. And that's all I need to know. What means most? We cannot lose. Eternal life. As the sons and daughters of Almighty God. Because he lives. Let's sing it again. Do you mind? Let's sing again. Because he lives. Because he lives. I can face tomorrow because he lives. All fear is gone because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because. So look, we repeated the chorus enough so that it's in your head. Feast on it, it's true. And just one more thing to take with you so that you can feast on. It's the words of the text under consideration tonight. It's just, I think, five words. Take the helmet of salvation. See if you can remember it. We'll do it again. Okay, no cheating, no looking. Here we go. Take the helmet of salvation. That's all you need the next time you doubt and are discouraged. One more time. Take the... um, 
Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us your thoughts and your mind. How could we otherwise discern it? How could our thoughts be interfered with unless you implanted truth in us? Part of salvation is to save us from wrong thinking, isn't it, Lord Jesus? Thank you that you've given us the right thinking. Thank you for saving us now and forevermore, irreversibly so. This is a thing in an uncertain day we can be most certain of. It is our desire, O oh God, to discipline ourselves so that regularly, daily, all the time, we take up and put on the helmet, which is the hope of our salvation. Thank you, because you saved us. There's no reason to doubt it. Our salvation. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.